Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. A pub began construction on an expansion and they had great plans, you know, sports bar and pokies and and they had a whole heap of in plan and, and a local church wasn't so keen on that. They started praying and petitioning about this pub to say, we don't want this pub to be expanded. We don't want this project to be going ahead. And they did this for months. And then it got to the point of the week before the pub launched. It's new, it's new brand, it's new everything starting up again with a new big, bigger pub. And it got struck by lightning and burned to the ground. And the church quietly was just a little bit chuffed. They're like, yeah, awesome. Obviously, the pub owner wasn't very happy. He decided he was going to sue the church. Because it was ultimately, they were responsible for the demise of his building. Whether indirect or direct. And so he sued them. And pre-trial, everything went ahead. And on the day that the court case started, the judge read carefully through the plaintiff's complaints and the defendant's reply. And he opened the hearing by saying, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that what we have here is a pub owner who now believes in the power of prayer an entire church congregation that does not. I don't think that's a true story, but you might have seen it on the internet somewhere. We often mean different things when we talk about miracles. We refer to miracles in a lot of different ways. You know, the the birth of a child, a beautiful sunset, you know, reconciliation between two friends. And they're all amazing. But today, I really want to focus on a more specific definition of miracles. And Merriam-Webster describes it as, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. So it's when God interrupts the natural order to do something out of the ordinary. Now, we don't know whether the lightning bolt was ordinary or extraordinary. We don't know the mind of God. It could have been a complete coincidence. And it could have been a miracle. We don't actually know. But when it comes to miracles, and when it comes to this topic, I want to just pause for a second. Because we all have experiences. Wanting miracles and them not happening, and seeing things that are amazing, and wondering maybe, was that God? And at this point, I want to acknowledge that probably at some point during my message, I'm going to say something that pushes your buttons. It's possible, I'm not deliberately doing that, but it's possible because when we talk about miracles, it's actually quite personal. Has anyone ever prayed for something and it hasn't yet happened the way you asked for it? I know I have. That's personal. But there's a principle that I want you to just keep in the back of your mind as we go through the message today. And that is 
the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And one person can say, I prayed and the prayer was answered. And another person can say, I prayed and I didn't see an answer. And that's fantastic. But that's not actually a lot of data. That's not a lot of information to base it on. And there's people who spend their whole life studying and exploring miracles. And those that you speak to that have spent more time investigating, there's, there's actually an organisation that goes around and does medical tests for people who, who say that they're healed just to be, able to, to be able to sort of get some data on whether it's a miracle or not. And it appears to me that the more that you know, the more you realise there's stuff you don't know. It's actually out of our ignorance that we get overconfident, is what I'm trying to say. So I'd encourage you just to approach today with, I guess, a bit of humility. I don't claim to be an expert, but I do believe that God wants us to understand a little bit about this space today. We're doing a series on the book of Acts. We're into Acts 9. Last week we paused to have a bit of a backstory on Paul, Saul, Heather came and, and stretched us for a while. It was brilliant, very stretching for some, a bit of study. And now we're back into Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 32. Meanwhile, Peter travelled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralysed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented her to them alive. The news spread throughout the whole town, and many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. So we, uh, we saw last week the journey that Paul made, and his adventures and travels, and you can see Peter's the same. He has been given a mandate, a mission, and he is out fulfilling the mission he's called to. Just like Jesus did. He's walking from town to town. 
sharing the good news, encouraging believers. And you can see a number of parallels in this passage with how Peter is imitating, is copying Jesus. So he's travelling around like Jesus did. But if you look at the first time that he heals Aeneas from being paralysed for eight years, he says to him, just like Jesus did to a paralytic in Capernaum, I tell you to get up and take your mat. And so you can see that sort of parallel with what Jesus did. He's, he's imitating, he's copying, he's reflecting Jesus. And you can see the same with Tabitha. Because Jesus had the same experience with Jairus' daughter. He cleared the room, apart from the daughter's parents. And he says to the daughter, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now there's a fascinating parallel here. See if you can spot it. Because scripture actually says the Aramaic words he used. He says to her, Talitha kaum. Do you know what Peter says to Dorcas? If he was speaking Aramaic, which is possible, he would have said, Tabitha kaum. There's one letter difference. And to us, reading in English, it doesn't mean anything. But the, to those that would have been reading this, they would have understood the parallel between the story of Jesus and the story of Peter. Tabitha kaum, or Talitha kaum. Talitha means little girl. Tabitha means a gazelle. Obviously, they just sound very similar. They're not, he's not saying the same thing. But I think it's really valuable to understand that Peter's not doing this on his own. He even uses the word to say, Jesus heals you to the paralytic. Then he does something highly offensive. He goes and stays at a tanner's house. Very much like Jesus offended people. Because someone who deals in cow hides and tanning them in Jewish customs is offensive. Because they're dealing with dead, dead objects. Jewish people didn't deal with dead objects. You didn't touch them. You were ceremonially unclean if you did. Jesus likewise hung out and had disciples that were tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with lowlifes that culturally were rejected. And yet Jesus broke that barrier to connect with people. Just like Peter's doing here. It's not a mistake that Luke, as he's writing this, wants to point to the parallels between what Peter's doing reflecting what Jesus did. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And here, Peter is only doing what Jesus taught him to do. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. However, there's a couple of other things that Luke points out here that is very significant. What is the punchline? What is the pinnacle of these miracles? 
What is, what is Luke trying to get us to pay attention to in these miracles? Why did he bother putting him in there? Verse 35 and verse 42 give us the answer. Then the whole population of Lydia and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42, the news sped throughout the whole town, this is about Tabitha, and many believed the Lord. The punchline for both of these miracles was people turning to the Lord. A bunch of John the Baptist's apostles, uh, disciples, went to Jesus to know whether he was the Messiah or not. And this is what Jesus said to go back and tell John. He told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. It's a package deal. There's no confusion that the attachment of miracles, signs and wonders are to the good news of Jesus. Luke wants to make that point. Jesus wanted to make that point. And Peter in the miracles makes that point too. I do actually like the name signs and wonders. I think that is a very good description for what we're talking about here. Because signs are pointing to something. They're giving direction. And wonders are things that you don't have answers for. They're sort of wonders. They're amazing, but they're not fully able for us to comprehend. And I love that description of it because they're both at the same time. Something amazing that we can't fully comprehend, but something that points somewhere. I think it's a really, really useful description. The challenge we have is that when we think about miracles, signs, and wonders, we often have a self-perspective. And that's okay. You notice that it's not berated in this passage. A bunch of people loved Tabitha. She had served them and made them clothes. There was a special relationship, and they desperately wanted a solution to her death. They're not berated for that. They want help in their circumstances. And that's a good thing. That's okay. It doesn't say that Peter came and told them all that they were on the wrong wavelength. They were mourning. When we come to miracles, we start often with our own perspective. But sometimes that can distort our idea of how miracles fit together. There's a couple of things I want to just emphasize. Firstly, I believe in miracles. I want to make that clear. I believe that God is a miraculous God that to this day does miracles. From the start to the end of Scripture, there are miracles. There's no period of time in the entirety of Scripture where God, when he was moving, was doing something miraculous. But also, we see from the start to finish of Scripture that God did miracles autonomously and God did miracles with the participation of people. From the start to the finish. So take Moses, for example. He has nothing to do with the burning bush. 
He didn't wave his hands. He didn't pray anything. He didn't do anything. The bush was burning and not burning up miraculously without his intervention. And yet at the same time, God tells him to put out his staff and the seas part. He chose to, for Moses to participate that time. We go to the New Testament and we see Paul in prison, miraculously, an earthquake shakes open the doors, loosens all their chains. He didn't do anything. And yet there's other times where he lays hands, he prays, and people get healed. Consistently through scripture, both of those things happen. And I think that's very useful to know that Jesus is able to do miracles on his own, but he also sometimes chooses for participation in people. On the flip side of that, I also, I can guarantee, I can promise you, there will be an end to pain and suffering, but it's not now. As much as in our own perspective, for me and my friends and my family, I love the idea of no pain and suffering, Jesus only has promised that when he returns. This is what it says in Revelations 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. This is talking prophetically for the future when Jesus returns. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So we know when that's coming, but it's not here yet. Right? So I'm sorry to say pain and suffering, death and sorrow and crying aren't going away. It's hard to hear, but that is also true. In other words, and this is also hard to hear, miracles are not God's solution to everything. Just pause on that. We don't like to hear it, but it is true. Miracles are not God's solution to everything. In the definition of miracles I just used, please. I think creation's a miracle. And, you know, when you go to the doctors and he fixes you up, that's a miracle. I'm not... Please hear when I say that. I'm talking about God's intervention in, a, in an unusual way. There's so much we could unpack today. There's the question of why there is suffering. There's all the different sorts of miracles. There's so much we could talk about, which I'm not going to today. And if you'd like that, then please let me know. I'd be more than happy to, to um, share what I understand in those areas. Today, I want to stick to the basics. Because how we think and interact and engage as people who have been redeemed and restored by Jesus, who carry his Holy Spirit, how we interact with a broken world is really, really important. How we think about miracles is really important. And I'm just going to use an example from my life, not because it's all together, you'll see that I'm not all together in the story, but it's a real tangible life experience of a miracle happening and the things that I have learnt from that, both from doing good things and doing bad things in that scenario. 
We have a connection with Fiji. We have a number of people that, ministries and things in Fiji that we connect with. And we have, over the years, had teams go over to Fiji. And Tanya, my wife and I, were, were on a, a reconnaissance trip, you'd say. Reconnecting with people, establishing relationships, and it was just the two of us. And it was our last day in Suva. We were staying at the unit at the back of a garment factory. The, the owner of the factory is uh, great friends of the church. And we were invited to share a message, a devotion, and to invite people up for prayer from the staff. The staff aren't all Christian. There's a mix of staff. And so I actually have no idea whether I shared or Tan shared. I don't know who shared. But one of us shared something about the goodness of God to this group of staff in their lunch break. It wasn't compulsory. Um, and then we invited people to come and receive prayer. And we were in a posture, and this is something that I think is the first point I want to make. I think it's so important for us to believe that God is living and active. If you don't have that in your heart, if you don't have that premise, that's okay. God is gracious. But have a desire to get to that place. It says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses testifying about God because you have the power of the Holy Spirit on you. And so our posture heading into that space was believing that God was powerful and moving and wanting to be part of people's lives. I think that's a really important starting point when we approach miracles. A lady walks up to me and in broken English starts to share what she would like to receive prayer for. Now what she described to me was a bit like a cold. And this is where Matt, who's got a few things to learn still, falls apart a bit. Because I'm thinking to myself, take a couple of days off work, get some rest, you'll be fine. <laughs> right? So, not the, the right posture to be wanting to pray for someone. But that's what I thought. Seriously, I've come across from another country, not that I'm special, I'm not, that wasn't my thought, but... Like, we're in this place to do amazing things and for God to be glorified, and someone wants prayer for a cold. Okay, so I start praying. How do I pray for someone with a cold? God, I pray that you would give them the wisdom to go home and have a rest. <laughs> like, so, advice number two. Pray what you believe. Pray what you believe, right? We often want to pray for something that we wish for, that we think is a good idea. But if it's about asking God, who has a brilliant will and purpose and knows all things, me asking for my good idea probably isn't the best thing to be praying for. It's to pray what I actually believe, and you don't have to know anything about the person. Do you believe that God is good? Yes. Do you believe that that person is loved by God? Yes. 
Do you believe that God wants to be part of their life? Awesome. I've got some things to pray for, right? Even if I think the reason that I'm praying for them is a silly reason that's important to them but not to me, there's so much that I do believe that I can pray for them. Whenever anyone asks you for prayer and you go, oh, I don't know what to pray, what do you believe? Just pray what you believe. And if that's everything that you've got, amazing. Because prayer is aligning our hearts and minds with God's heart and mind, with his idea. They say the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Righteous being in alignment with God's ways. So just pray what you believe. And that's what I did. A little reluctantly, I'll have to admit. But in that space, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me with specific things. Some pictures, some words to share that had nothing to do with a cold. And I'm like, this is weird. Do I believe this is from God? I do. So I prayed that because I believed it was from God. So I prayed the things that I felt prompted with. I finished praying. I looked up. A lady was standing there. She said, thank you, and walked away. I was like, I guess I was the least obedient. Tip number three, just be obedient. I'm not the saviour. It's not about me. I was a bit despondent. Nothing amazing happened. She looked like she still had a cold. She was politely appreciative. I think God was protecting me that day. Because as you can probably tell, I don't think my heart was quite in the right place. I, I was torn between my passion and desire to see God move and my frustration with reality. There was a tension there. Unbeknownst to me, the description of what that lady told me about her circumstances was very much underplaying it. I found out later from one of the HR managers there that this lady for about five weeks had been having like panic attacks because she could hardly breathe. She had to walk to work and for five weeks that was a stressful journey because she wasn't sure she was going to get there with enough breath. Her lungs were completely like something was significantly wrong that meant that what she described to me like shortness of breath and a bit of a cough was actually something that was very crippling for her. It made it hard for her to be a mother in her house and it was highly stressful. What I also didn't realise is she walked out of the room, out to the side, felt violently sick, threw up a whole heap of bile and phlegm and, and, and a lot of stuff and was instantly healed. I found out a week later, which again, as a person who is not thinking healthily about miracles, was God protecting me. Because guess who was the miracle worker on the day? It wasn't Matt.
And this is where we get twisted because we often think about ourselves in relation to miracles. I would have been thinking about myself. Hey, you're such in tune with God. You're amazing, Matt. It wouldn't have been healthy for me. But the miracle for her was that she had an encounter with Jesus, not with Matt. And that is the punchline, should be the punchline, of every single miracle. God desperately wants to be part of our lives. There's a picture I want you to think about in relation to miracles. You'll like this, Noel. It's a picture of a speedboat. Do you want to throw it up? Miracles... Signs and wonders are like the wake behind a speedboat. They're a definite side effect of a speedboat tearing through the water. They do absolutely reflect the power and the direction of the boat, but they are not the boat. You can see the power of this speedboat by the wake it creates. But when you look at the wake, as amazing as it is, it's actually pointing you to the speedboat. You can follow the wake from all the way over there, find out where it's come from and where it's going. And today, whether it's a miracle that you need in your life, or when you connect with other people and you go, I don't know how to pray about their situation. Our focus is on the miracle. That wasn't Peter's focus. That wasn't Luke who wrote the book's focus. That wasn't even Jesus' focus. All of them had experiences of non-answered prayer. Did you know that? Like, just think about, you know, David, his son was dying... And he prayed and fasted for seven days. The elders tried to lift him up off the ground. He said, no, I want to stay on the ground. And after seven days, his son died. Jesus couldn't perform miracles in his hometown. This is Jesus we're talking about. Paul, a guy that performed miracles... Shipwrecked four times. One of them, he ended up in the water for a day and a half. Come on, where's Jonah's whale now? Like, we often get fixated on us and our circumstances. We often get fixated on the things that we need and God absolutely cares about it. But when we're fixated on the wake and not on the boat, we're missing the picture. And when you reorient yourself to fixate on the boat, you start seeing the wake as a result and it starts becoming a healthy picture. And really, that's all I want us to to understand today. I don't want to solve miracles. I don't think we can because they're wonders. And I think for the rest of our lives, we're still going to wonder. 
But I think the intention is for every time that a miracle happens in Scripture, the intention is for us to go back and look where the weight came from and to look at the boat and that that is the reason for the miracle. That is why they happen. I'm convinced that miracles are real. I'm convinced that they are part of our lives and that God wants to move in power. But it's about God, not about me. It's even about God, not about what I want for my circumstances miraculously changed. And that's sometimes really hard. Trust and believe that God is moving in power. Pray what you believe, not just what you wish for. And then get out of the way. Let me pray. Lord God, from the beginning to the end of Scripture, you want us to know that you want to be part of our lives. You constantly reach out and connect with us in amazing ways, surprising ways, and even sometimes mundane ways. But Lord, today as we see these two miracles in Scripture that Peter performed, I pray that your Spirit would stir in us to believe. I pray that your spirit would raise our faith to trust you, to trust your power, your purposes, your will, your nature and character. Lord, I thank you so much for testimonies. I thank you so much for for stories that point to that. But Lord, I I pray today Let every miracle and every hope for a miracle, Lord God, leads us back to you, back to your heart, back to your goodness, and back to the fact that your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, I especially pray for those that have had disappointment in this area, Lord. I especially pray for those that have grieved, have yearned, have cried out, have done everything to hope for something different, Lord. Lord, I pray for your spirit just to provide comfort in that place. Lord, I believe that you want to perform a miracle there too, in our hearts where there's pain and hurt, Lord. Lord, I pray for your peace that goes beyond understanding for those ones, Lord. I pray that you would restore hope. You would restore belief, trust in you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. And we continue just to say we love you. And we love your ways. And we thank you and trust your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.